Our reading this morning is from chapter 5 of John and from verses 16 to 30, Life Through the Son. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried to all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave him this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, does the son also, sorry, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honour the son just as they honour the father. He who does not honour the son does not honour the father who sent him. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For, the fa for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming for, for when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have do done good will rise to live and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. I wonder how you feel about the fact that you will die. Now, part of me feels a bit uncomfortable asking that so bluntly. Um, Although another part of me remembers that in the past it was a lot less unusual to talk in those terms, uh, not so many decades ago. I'm also very aware, of course, that for many of us uh, who are grieving at the moment, it is a painful thing at times to think about. But in our time we do not like to talk about death, and so we're often not ready for it. COVID's probably made us a lot more likely to think about it. Um, and of course, all of us will have had friends or relatives die, or both, probably, probably all of us. But we do come face to face with death a lot later in life in the modern world, where death is hidden away in hospitals and masked by morphine, and so that only the very closest relatives really see people dying. And that's, I think, why we find ourselves thinking it's so uncomfortable to think about. And so, nowadays we have a strange mixture of feelings about it, from a very close friend of mine who, all through his twenties, would wake up in a cold sweat in the night regularly, thinking about his coming death. 
On, on the other side of the spectrum, I remember visiting heart attack victims in a cardiac ward as a hospital chaplain. Now, that was full of middle-aged men who were very, very lucky to be alive. And they would never mention how close they'd come to death. They, they just wanted to gloss over that part of their life, get on with working long hours and raking in the money. In other words, the very behaviours that had led them to the cardiac ward in the first place. It was just easier to ignore than to think about at all. And for Christians, of course, death doesn't hurt any less, either when it's our own or, or those near us. And yet, in the death of a Christian, there is a difference that we can face it with pain, yes, but with a lot less fear and a lot more hope. And perhaps even like my grandfather, deeply disappointed when death didn't come as quickly as he thought it was because he was longing to be with Jesus Christ. All of that comes from a confidence in who Jesus Christ is. This passage is very much about that. Last week, we saw Jesus perform an extraordinary miracle. He healed a man who had been sick and disabled for 38 years. But the religious authorities were angry. They were angry he'd done it on the Sabbath, on the, on the Saturday. And so they basically ignored the miracle itself. Jesus responds to their anger here this week. But he doesn't do what he sometimes does and, and tell them, you know, they're misunderstanding, misinterpreting the Sabbath law. He doesn't tell them that, you know, they're, they're, they're getting their knickers in a twist about trivialities. He says, no, 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 I'm going to press the nuclear button. My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. Now to us, that doesn't sound like much. You know, all Christians can call God Father. But he gets quite a dramatic reaction. It says they, they, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. That sounds like an overreaction, but it wasn't, and Jesus didn't think it was. He, in this passage, is going to make very clear exactly what he meant. You see, God commanded people to rest on the Sabbath, to enjoy rest, to enjoy time with family, to enjoy time with God himself. But although he modelled for us resting on the final day of creation, God never totally switches off. You know, it's not like us. We can just put our feet up on the sofa and watch the TV mindlessly, and the world goes on. But since God's job includes, you know, keeping the universe going and upholding the laws of physics and ruling everything from moment to moment, if he stops working, well, the universe will vanish like a soap bubble and we'll be in trouble. So Jesus is saying, my father keeps on working, because his work is upholding the entire universe. I am like that. I do the same with him. Now the Jewish leaders are shocked that he's making himself equal with God, but here he's not setting himself as a, as a, a separate or a rival God, of course, but rather this passage shows us that the Father and Son are so wrapped up together that everything they do, do, they do, they do together. They cannot work separately. One God, one being, in separate persons. Now, if you have your Bible, you'll notice the structure in this passage is actually quite clear. There are a few words that really mark that out for us. Three times, Jesus says, very truly I tell you, 
or in some versions, truly, truly, I say to you, or some variation on that. You see that in 19, 24, and 25. Those, that's Jesus highlighting with those words his most important big points. The first of those, uh, in verse 19, 19 to 23 tells us that Jesus is one with the Father. That's the key point that underlies everything else here. Under that, he has four little sub-points, each of them beginning with the word for, in many translations, 19, 20, 21, and 22. Although some translations will, will change that word for to because or moreover. It's, um, it's the same word underneath, though. Then the other two times he says, very truly, I tell you, he leads us on to the amazing consequences, what it means for him to be one with the Father. Verse 24 tells us that it means his voice gives us eternal life today, if we will trust him, because he is one with the Father. Verse 25 tells us that his voice has the power to raise all the dead to judgment on the last day. Life comes because of who he is, because he is one with the Father. Now, firstly, the Son is one with the Father, 19 to 23. Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing because, or for, whatever the Father does, the Son also does. If he does only what he sees his Father doing, you'd think he might be less than the Father. Um, But actually, he's claiming the opposite. He says, whatever the Father does, the Son also does. That's quite a big claim for a human being to make. You know, um, I can say that I can do whatever my friends can do, my family can do, but I can't say to myself that I do with God whatever he does. Jesus can and does. From the extinction of stars to the rise and fall of nations to the death of a sparrow, the Father and the Son do these things together. And then it says, again, another for, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does the picture's a little like um, the way a family business would work in those days. That's how you learned your trade, you know. Growing up, the potter's sitting, making his pots, and his son sits on his lap and learns how to shape them. They work side by side. The father shows the son everything, from ants in their nest to the rising sun on planets that we haven't even discovered yet. And the miracles that he's going to show them through the rest of the gospel are part of that. I will show you great, sorry, he will show me greater works than these so that you, the audience he's speaking to, will be amazed. You haven't responded to this miracle with this sick man who's been ill for 38 years walking around healthy again. So we'll do more, more miracles together. Another chance for you to open your eyes to see reality. And then another four. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. The greatest miracle in the Gospel of John that Jesus does is raising Lazarus from the dead. A man who has been dead and mouldering for four days and he calls him back to life. Jesus is going to show he has the same life-giving power that the Father has. Finally, for, or rather, moreover in our translation, but again, it's the same word. The Father judges no one, 
but he has entrusted all judgment to the Son. In their sharing of their work, the Father gives this crucially important role to the Son. The Bible says again and again, 775, 5, just as one example, that God alone is the final judge. He is the only one who is worthy enough and pure enough to judge. But when, on the final day, we stand before God for judgment, it will be the Son seated on his throne that we see. Why? So that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. And anyone who does not do this, Jesus says, whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. To fail to worship this Son, to honour this Son, is to fail to worship and honour God at all. These are big claims for a human being to make. As we've seen so many times already in John's Gospel, these are not the kind of things that a great teacher can say, or just a good man. Either what Jesus says here is true, or it's utter madness. He's speaking about the mystery of the Trinity in simple human words, and yet so extremely deep and profound. We don't have anywhere near the time to go into one of these statements fully. But he makes it clear that these things that he's saying about his oneness with the Father have huge consequences for us. First, so firstly, the Son's voice gives us life now. Verse 24. The first consequence of who Jesus is, of his profound relationship with the Father, is that he can give us life. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged. Might be familiar truth, but still let it sink in for a moment. Hear his word. Trust the Father who sent him. And you have eternal life. Not in the future, but now. He offers you right now that absolute confidence and assurance of life. You know, perhaps you're afraid you don't measure up. That though you trust in God, you just aren't a good enough Christian. That you don't live well enough to be worthy of God. Well, he says to you, if you hear my word, if you hear my voice and trust my Father... You have crossed over from death to life. You have crossed over. So, listen to his voice. Trust in the Father. And then the Son, the judge himself, will declare himself satisfied about you. And you will not face judgment. No condemnation will touch you at the final day. And when you stand up on that final day, it will be to be vindicated, to be declared free and guiltless and not to be judged. And anyone who knows that can face death with a new confidence, a confidence that they are on the way to life. Most of us, if we call ourselves Christians, will say that Jesus is God. But so many of us are worried about whether we really measure up, at least in our darker and more difficult moments, whether we really will be found worthy of life. 
But of course, it is not about us or whether we're worthy. It's about him. If he is everything he claims to be, if he truly is one with the Father in this way, then he can give us life in the way he promises. That's why he spends so much time talking about the relationship he has with the Father. So that we understand this one has the power, all the power needed to give life to those who are doomed to die. The judge, the life giver himself. And so he offers us life now. And he, he says down in verse 34, he's saying all these things so that you will be saved, so that you may be saved. We all face the sentence of death. We all face judgment after, but he offers a way through that. And if you worry, if you are still good enough, whether you've lived up to your side of the bargain, Jesus says, if you have heard and me and trusted, then you have passed over from death to life. Then thirdly, the son's voice will raise the dead in the judgment. The next consequence of who Jesus is tells us just how important and urgent it is that we listen to what he's just said. Because the son's voice will raise all the dead to face judgment. His voice has the power to return life into a long dead corpse, to reverse all the effects of time and decay, to restore it to strength and health once more. Things that are utterly impossible unless the creator himself is speaking. And that is exactly what's going on. Because he is not like us. He is not something made. He has, verse 26, been granted by the Father to have life in himself. You know, not like our life, which we have to keep going by stuffing ourselves with food and drink and air and having God uphold the whole thing. But rather in himself, from himself, brimful of life so that he can give all the life that we need. He's able, too, to judge fairly. He is the son of man. He's been a weak man like us. He's used to weakness and temptation and pain. And so no one is better suited to judge all things and all people than he is. And it says that the time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out just as Lazarus does later in this gospel as an example of what will happen. They will stand and live again and every person will rise at the sound of his voice. Every man, every woman, every child in every tomb, however long ago decayed or washed away. Because his voice, which created all things, has the power to recreate them. And you and I, we will come out of the dust of our tombs, remade in perfect flesh, having heard that voice that sounds through rock and earth, and we will stand before him. And then, verse 29, those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. That judgment day is coming. That's why it's so urgent, so important, that we listen to his voice today. But you might be thinking, doesn't this contradict what we just heard? It says, those who have done good will rise, not those who will trust, like it said earlier, not those who listen to my voice. Now, rather than a contradiction, that, that's a reflection, and we don't have time to go into it fully, but it's a reflection of what the Bible teaches consistently, which is that 
we are saved by trusting in Jesus Christ. But as John, Jesus says later in John, whoever remains in me and I in him, they will bear much fruit. In other words, good will come out of their lives. Not that Christians are better in the way they live their lives, but that when we belong to him, there are things that are changed in our lives. We are changed people. There is evidence that something has happened in us to make us different from who we were before. And on the last day when our files are opened, if we were, are truly Christians, if we are people who have trusted him, then those files will show, yes, we were truly changed people. Not perfect, not great. No, you know, if it was a question of all our sins being weighed up against the good or something like that, we would be just lost. But there will be enough to show that, yes, we belonged to him, that the son's voice has brought life into our dead souls, that we were alive in him and that we'll go on to the resurrection of life. If we don't trust him, of course, there will not be any hope on that day. No last reprieve, no chance to change your mind. So this is a call from Jesus to come now to listen to his voice. As we've been going through John's Gospel, we've seen Jesus talking to all sorts of people with great gentleness and grace. But here in this passage, he's bringing us face to face more deeply than ever before with exactly who he is and the depth and the seriousness of the consequences for us. One day we will each die, we will face our deaths, and if we're lucky we'll have a chance to see that coming, to prepare our hearts for it. But Jesus tells us too that one day we will be raised from the dead, that, our, that we will come out of the tombs hearing his voice, the voice of the Son of God that creates life, that can listen where there was nothing but death before. And we will face him, and the question on that day will be very simple. Were you among those who trusted me, my Father, and who listened to my voice? And so is there some evidence in your life that that has happened? Did you listen to my voice that gives life now when you had the chance? So let's, let's listen today. Let's trust him. Let's rest our confidence on this incredible Son of God who has the power to speak life into our souls today. And then we can rest in absolute sure confidence, knowing that the future we face with him is a good future, a future of joy and peace. Let's pray.